You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I am your host, Mike White. On this special episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Fantasia 2020. If you're a longtime listener of The Projection Booth, you know that I have been to quite a few film festivals over the years. I absolutely love going to festivals. There's just something so nice about going to another place, turning off the phone, putting away the computer... 100% being dedicated to watching movies, to enjoying another city, hopefully to meet with new people, see old friends. There's just a real communal feeling around so many film festivals, and I've enjoyed pretty much every festival I've ever been to. I used to love going to Toronto, down to Kansas City, of course, MicroCineFest. I've made some great friends down in Baltimore through MicroCineFest and through the Maryland Film Festival, New York Underground Festival, Chicago Underground Festival, the list goes on and on. And then we've got a few fests around here in Detroit. We've got Cinetopia, we've got the Freep Film Festival, the Ann Arbor Film Festival, which is one of the longest-running film festivals in the Midwest. I think it might be one of the longest-running ones in the U.S. I could be wrong, but heck, you know what? Nobody's going to correct me right now. It's interesting. I almost said that Fantasia 2020 was the first virtual film festival I've been to, and it kind of is, though the way that it is being run is very similar to my experience with a couple other festivals. The last time I went to the Kansas City Film Festival, I actually was sent a bunch of screeners beforehand and had my decision already made. I was being a, I was a judge and I already was sent all the movies. I watched all the movies and basically I flew down to Kansas city in order to meet up with the other judges, come to an agreement about which films we thought should win, which awards, and then just hang out. I watched a lot of movies Missed the barbecue tour again, but also got to see Rob Hubbard, friend of the show. So that was kind of nice. And also when I would do the Blue Water Film Festival, where I also was a judge, I was sent a whole binder full of films, as opposed to a binder full of women, a whole binder full of films that I would watch weeks prior to going up to Port Huron, Michigan, and again, meet with my fellow judges, figure out what was going to win or take what prizes. And then with that, I just kind of hung out because I saw every single movie that was being shown. So I would rewatch some of those. And then otherwise, I was hanging out in beautiful Port Huron, which I am not being facetious. Port Huron is gorgeous. So this is actually my second Fantasia. I went to Fantasia 
in 2007, I had a friend, Rich Osmond, who flew into Detroit from St. Louis, and then we drove up to Montreal, which is about 12 hours or more from Detroit. So we actually broke it up into two days of driving. We spent the night in Toronto, got to see some friends, then went the rest of the way up to Montreal. The Fantasia Festival is a little weird in that it is not a weekend. It's not a five-day. It's not even a seven-day festival. This thing goes on for like two solid weeks. If this were normal times and we were going up to Fantasia, it started on August 20th and it ends on September 2nd. I don't know about you, but I cannot afford to take off that much time. And it's kind of weird, too, because it's not like you can go up there for one weekend and see everything you want to see. They actually stagger out the releases and the showings of these things. So it's like, well, I really wanted to see this film. Well, it's not available the first weekend. It's only available the second weekend. Well, fuck me. You know what? I can't stay two weekends because I've got a job. I mean, I would take off 10 days for Toronto, and that was okay because everything was done in 10 days, and usually... It was packed into like the first five days that you were there. If you were on a, a press pass like I was, you would just cram your whole schedule full of stuff over one weekend. And I think you were even seeing things possibly before the public was seeing it. And just like film after film after film, which is what I love. Just spending days after days watching movies. Though that also leads to the question of walkouts. Because... When you're at a film festival, especially when you're there in a capacity of writing about movies, like I was for, say, Toronto, or even for Fantasia, if you're there seeing as many movies as you possibly can, and you walk into a dud, I'm not going to stick around and see how bad the dud is. I'm out of there. Ah, sometimes I've lasted an hour. Sometimes I'll last five minutes. There are certain movies where it's like, nope, this isn't going to do it for me. That said, that's still kind of the case when it comes to virtual movies, because there are times where I will leave something on, and there are times where I just can't stand it. Now, the question becomes, is my opinion valid of a movie that I turn off? Is my opinion valid of a movie I walk out on? Can I actually review something if I have walked out on it or not seen the entire thing? Is my opinion invalidated because possibly in the last five minutes, everything became great. You know, I walked out of high tension. I never got to see the twist, but I sure didn't enjoy what I did see. And then when I heard about the twist, I think I would have been angrier had I stuck around and had that twist than had I just walked out because I couldn't stand the protagonist. She just seemed to do the dumbest things in the world. Let's hide in the attic. No, in the basement. Why can't we just get in the running car? Are you crazy? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. Smart. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that said, I'm going to talk about movies that I watched entirely, as well as a few that I turned off. And please know that if I say I turned off a movie, that pretty much means that I didn't enjoy the movie. Actually, looking at this list of what I've seen so far, I've only turned off two things. So let's go ahead and dive into the films that I've seen so far at Fantasia. 
So first up, I wanted to talk about Class Action Park, which is a new documentary that I believe HBO picked up. It should be showing pretty soon. Usually the story is that a movie will be a documentary and then it will get adapted for a live action film. You know, thinking about that horrible one that Steve Carell was in that Zemeckis directed. That was a documentary. It was a great documentary. Then it turned into that horrible Marwan film. Yeah, no thanks. This one is the opposite. This one, when I heard about the documentary, I said, wait a second, that was already a movie. If you have seen the film Action Point, starring the one and only Johnny Knoxville, and of course, who hasn't seen Action Point, this is a documentary about the park that was the inspiration for Action Point. I thought that this was completely made up, but no, it's actually a real park where the rides were not very safe. Uh, they had teens supervising things. It was just a complete clusterfuck. And the guy who ran the entire park and the money men behind the guy who ran the entire park. Oh man, it's, it's a wild story. It's kind of along the lines of a Tiger King, a little bit more believable than Tiger King, but it is that same kind of Schadenfreude look at this stuff. Uh, and then it gets real serious towards the end. I recommend this film. Like I said, this will be on HBO pretty soon. Definitely check it out. Next documentary is Feels Good Man, which is the story of Pepe the Frog. I only knew Pepe the Frog's story insofar as him becoming a meme, not knowing that Pepe had any sort of life before the meme. I do remember, though, when Pepe was just a meme rather than a alt-right, horrible, horrible meme. And this tells the entire story of Pepe before he was a meme, the way that he changed into an alt-right meme, and also the author, the artist who was behind Pepe, and his struggle to try to reclaim his own creation away from the alt-right. I really enjoyed this one. I would also recommend this film very much. With this movie having its ties so firmly with the internet, I'm sure it's going to be pretty easy to find when it gets released. Tiny Tim King for a Day is one that I really wanted to like a lot more than I ended up liking. It is, of course, the story of Tiny Tim, the raconteur, ukulele player, falsetto singing, person who felt out of time and out of place with the entire world, the man whose marriage to Miss Vicky on The Tonight Show was one of the highest-rated programs of all times. It's good at the beginning, and it goes along for a while. It's interesting. They ended up interviewing Miss Vicky. She is not on camera whatsoever. I feel for the filmmakers that they couldn't get her on camera. They talked to Tiny Tim's daughter, Tulip, though towards the end of the movie, it kind of falls apart. I think the movie's only like... 70-some minutes, it feels like it's missing 20 minutes, especially towards the end of his career. I remember I drove out to, or was a passenger, in a car going to New York, and it was one of my first times, probably my second time in New York City, 
and I was going with friends who were there just to see Tiny Tim. He was playing a club there. And their stories of how his act was towards the later years of his life were fascinating. This whole patter that he had and how he would break into song, and it just sounded great. But they never really captured that in this doc. And unfortunately, I I wanted this to be a better film than it was. Clapboard Jungle, Surviving the Independent Film Business, is a documentary by Justin McConnell, who actually is a friend of mine on Facebook, but one of these friends where it's like, where do I know you from? Well, he's up in Toronto, so I might have met him before. I'm not exactly sure. Clapboard Jungle is, it's really a personal film about Justin trying to make it in the business. And I have to say, I wasn't a fan of this. It was very self-indulgent, kind of whiny. It's like, why are these things not happening for me? And then you see the movies that he's making, and you're like, well, this is probably why it's not happening for you. I know that sounds very mean to say, but I've seen this kind of documentary before, and I've met people that talk like this, and it's just like, I'm doing everything right. Why are these things happening to other people? Why are they not happening to me? Hell, I sound like that a lot of times when I'm podcasting. Why is this podcast getting so much notice over this other podcast? So yeah, I feel ya. It was just a little too much to sit there and watch that for, I don't know, hour and a half. Felt like two hours. Really had a hard time taking this one. But I didn't turn it off. I will say I did not turn this one off. So if you want to see what the independent film business is like from an outsider perspective, especially over the last, say, 15 years, here you go. Justin seems like a nice guy, wouldn't mind having a beer with him, but this movie was not for me. Hail to the Deadites. You would think that I would love Hail to the Deadites. Being a fan of the Evil Dead films, being a fan of the filmmakers behind the Evil Dead films, I was really looking forward to this movie. But is no bueno, is not good. I did turn this movie off, so maybe it got really good after 35, 40 minutes. But those first 35, 40 minutes were not good. There was one moment, I thought it was one moment in the film that happened, and it's a story of a marriage proposal, and they're talking to one of the guys behind the special effects in Evil Dead, and he tells a story about how he was involved with a marriage proposal, and this this whole thing with the dagger, and how he had the ring, and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, that's great. That's cool. Guess what? The movie stops for like another ten minutes to then hear the groom talk about this, to hear the bride talk about this, to see the actual thing that we just heard described twice, to see their marriage, to see the message that gets sent to them from the special effects guy. Who gives a shit? It was so stupid. Why am I watching this? What's the point of this documentary? Is this talking about fandom of Evil Dead fans and how crazy they are? Uh, No, I couldn't give two shits about this movie. I'm sorry. It was just, it was not good. It looked amateurish. It felt amateurish. And I don't think I'll ever go back to this one again. And like I said, I really wanted to like this, which made it even more disappointing. Along with documentaries, there were also 
mockumentaries, as well as narrative films. Believe it or not, I'm not just going to spend the entire time talking about documentaries. I am going to talk about a mockumentary called Monster Seafood Wars, which is incredibly silly. It's about this lunch that becomes sentient, and you have a giant crab, a giant squid, and... Oh, God, I can't even remember. It's been like two weeks since I've seen it. That's how memorable this film is. Yeah, there's something, something. We're going to spray them with vinegar, something, something. I didn't care about any of the people in the movie. I didn't really... It just felt silly and frivolous. It's not going to change your life. It's not going to change the world. I don't think the filmmakers are ever going to hear this. So I'll just say, don't bother. I mean, you might think it's just the cleverest thing, but if you've seen Big Man Japan, just watch that again, and don't worry about this movie. You really don't have to, to sweat it out. The costumes and everything look really cheap, and it's supposed to be cheap, it's supposed to be funny, but, I mean, just watch the intergalactic video. That's that's all you need. Also from Japan, I saw one called Traveling Cat Chronicles, and this is a narrative about a man and a cat, and the stories behind him and his first cat and his childhood friend. It meanders a little bit. It was based off of a book, and I can definitely feel that it was based off a book. I think there was a lot more to the book than we end up seeing in the movie. It was good. It made me cry at the end. No, the cat doesn't die, so don't worry about that. You don't have to go to a website to check that. The cat's good. The cat really isn't in mortal danger at all during the film, so that's good. So, it's it's all right. Survival Skills is an interesting film, more interesting in the way that it's made and looks than in the actual content. It starts off as a police training film that Stacy Keach is presenting to us, and then you kind of go into the world of the police training film. There are some really interesting and clever moments to it. I don't know if I would recommend it or not. It gets a little long at times. It was based on a short, and I imagine if I go back to the short and watch that, that all of the things that I really liked about it were probably in the short. I don't think that this was properly stretched out to a feature length. Let's just say that. I think the filmmaker has a lot of potential. I'm excited to see what else they do. But survival skills, meh. It was okay. I would not have walked out of it if I saw this theatrically. The next film I saw was called Patrick, or Patrick seems to be the title. Not to be confused with the 2020 film called I Am Patrick, which seems to be the story of St. Patrick. It's a docudrama. This film, it really reminded me a lot of like a Yorgos Lathamos film. It's very dry. It just kind of is there. Things happen, but I will say I was absolutely fascinated by it. I kept thinking that it was going to get violent, and I was actually really glad that it didn't go the way that I thought. I was really surprised that Jermaine Clement shows up in it. I didn't think that there was going to be anyone in this film that spoke English, and he showed up and made me very happy. Um, it wasn't one of those weird stunt casting kind of things. He actually added something to the narrative. It is very much a story with a lot of different players to it, though Kevin Janssens, who plays Patrick, was 
absolutely riveting. Yeah, I, I would recommend this. Oh, I would not recommend this if you are afraid of full frontal nudity, because this entire thing is set at a nudist park, which is one of those things where I think, like, when you watch this with an audience, a lot of people would be tittering because there's nudity on screen, but they just treat it like it's a fact of life. It just it takes place at a nudist camp. There you go. It is kind of funny when there's some fighting in the film and they're going all Eastern promises, but yeah, it's it's amusing. It kept my interest. It it, it definitely was there. I am saving the best for last, though. Of all the films that I've seen so far for the Fantasia Fest, and this will be part one of two, I will get back and do a second part of this. I talked about Morgana on a separate episode, so definitely check that out, speaking of documentaries from Fantasia. But when it comes to narrative films, the best film that I've seen at Fantasia so far is one called The Columnist, which has a very interesting title in its native Dutch. It's by Ivo van Aert, who often collaborates with Don Windhorse, and it speaks to our time. It may not be in our language, but it definitely is speaking our language so much of the time. And I don't mean literally, though there are uh, some interesting English parts to it because there's a lot of integration with Twitter, with Facebook, with other social media. Women in our world go through a lot of unnecessary shit. And one of those is having people, men, critiquing them, calling them horrible things, saying awful things to them online. And this movie looks at that square in the eye and it's a horror comedy that just goes there and does everything right, ticks all the boxes. I was very amused by this film. There are moments where I'm on the edge of my seat. I thought it was great. It's got a great look. It's got a great soundtrack. The acting is fantastic. So there's really not enough nice things that I can say about this movie. This is the one of all the movies that I've talked about on this episode Definitely check this out. You're going to want to see this one. And actually, I managed to talk to Mr. Van Aert about the film. So let's go ahead. I'm going to play some messages, and then we'll be back with an interview with the director of The Columnist, Eva Van Aert. And we'll be right back right after this. Hello, I'm Mugumbo, and I am a potaholic. I have been known to consume four or five of these underground commentaries a day, salivating for the next episodes. I have tweeted the creators of these shows and offered sexual favors for validation and conversation. I put these hosts high on a pedestal, but for some reason, I can never climax until I listen to the traumatic cinematic show. What is the difference, you ask? The Traumatic Cinematic Show has my own self-defecating voice on it. Nothing gets me off faster than thinking about myself. So when you are sitting around nude, pleasuring yourself to the voices of strangers, check out TraumaticCinematic.com, because we'll give you a reach around. You can also find us on TraumaticCinematic.Podomatic.com. I'm on the internet. I am very curious about you and how you decided to become a filmmaker. What was your entree into the field? I actually started by being in a theater class uh, when I was very young. It's also the place where I met the writer of uh, The Columnist because we started out as uh, 
14 year old young wannabe actors, I guess. But soon we decided to start uh, making theater our own place together. So uh, he started writing. Eventually, I started to film uh, certain video fragments for in that play. So we continued to collaborate in that way. And after a few years, we actually made a feature length film when we were 16 or 17 with just friends in the summer, no budget cameras we could borrow from uh, from some place and from then on we just decided to go to art school and 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 we sort of grew up together in the field and became professionals uh, and we're still working together as of this day around what time is flat when were you going to um, grade school together with him uh, we both graduated in 2000, 2012 so roughly from 2008 to 2012 uh, so we've been working now professionally for eight years, and and before that we 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 also made a lot of movies. He also wrote my uh, graduation film. That's remarkable. How did you guys go both from acting into him writing and you directing? We both soon discovered that he's very good at writing, and it just came natural to him, I guess. Yeah, he wrote a lot of plays that we acted in together we we sort of made together with a group of people some of whom are still uh, also or, or who are also in uh, in the field now professionally as actors or as theater directors and i yeah for me it was sort of natural to to direct i don't know it just i s- s- soon discovered that people actually listened when i had something to say which was weird and i just went along with it i've always been a a big uh, film uh, lover and and Dan, uh, the writer as well. A lot of our friendship is based on our love for films and our love for stories. Tell me about some of the projects that you guys have worked on together over the years, because I know looking at your filmography side by side, yeah, the crossover is very obvious to see that you're both working on a lot of the same projects. After we graduated, we sort of found ourselves in a place when nobody really uh, wanted another writer, another director. Uh, it's very difficult to to go from graduation graduation to a professional production. So we decided to to make a, a, a short web series about two people in in six separate dates. So we sort of uh, while they're dating. We follow them and we see them grow and uh, getting to know each other. And that was sort of a self-financed indie project with two great actors we knew. And uh, that was sort of the starting point for us because it was picked up by a Dutch broadcaster. And from then on, we we sort of started to make stuff in a way that was very naturalistic in its in its style and its its observation of. Uh, uh, young adults so so from then on we we got the chance to actually make a well we weren't used to <laughs> making films for any money i guess uh, this was this was um a, quite a budget for us it was called suspicious minds was a series that took place on a house party so the, the entire five episodes was just one party told backwards so the first episode was actually um the last hour where everybody leaves drunk and tired maybe sad maybe euphoric for some reason and the 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 very last episode is the 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 very first 
hour where everybody enters, you know, everybody's still sober, everybody still has still still has anticipations for that night. That was our first big project for a big broadcaster, and that was sort of a big deal for us as a first project because we got to make exactly what we wanted just one year after we uh, graduated. And then it took quite a long time before we got to make something like The Columnist. So, it, uh, I mean, there, there, there are a few years in between, but it feels like Suspicious Minds and The Columnist are like our two big projects, and there is six years in between. And in the meantime, we, you know, Dan uh, wrote a lot for television, and I directed a few short films and uh, dance film and just uh, children's series here in the Netherlands. So we sort of we 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 kept developing things to get together and we kept making things together. But the main two projects, I think, are uh, Suspicious Minds and The Columnist. So where did The Columnist come from? What was the original idea for it? And how did it change between the idea and what we end up seeing in the theater? Dan wrote a book uh, a few years ago with uh, all sorts of satirical short stories. And one of them was about a columnist who tied up a commenter, someone she found on Twitter, and cut off uh, one finger for every uh, negative comment he he was placing. So we had this short story in the back of our minds, and we, we heard about a sub- submission for a television film, because it's actually a television film. The theme of that submission was crime, so we thought, this short story could serve for that purpose and we build it out. And I think when you start from a short story and go to a feature length film, the difficult thing is how do you build it out in, in such a way that, it, that it's still interesting in at the end of the second act. So for that reason, we came up with the daughter and, and the way she is advocating free speech. And we came up with a, with a boyfriend, which, uh, who is, in his way, also advocating free speech, but also is quite free in the horrific ways he writes. And so we, we sort of came up with different subplots to enhance Femke's story and to enhance her uh, way into uh, the abyss, I guess. Did you talk to any female writers or just women on the Internet to see some of the awful things that are said about them? We both know a few people who have suffered from from the the, the comments and the way they are and they have been treated and are still treated uh, today uh, on the internet. This story started out with I, I guess a personal frustration from Dan. I mean, the short story in his book is sort of based on his personal frustration, which is not even uh, that big of a deal. I mean, he, he uh, it's 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 frustrating to to get a lot of negative comments and to get a lot of hate on the internet. But it's such a different story when it, when you're talking about women and uh, how women are treated on the internet. So we knew a lot of writers, a lot of uh, female writers who had experience with the subject. And yeah, we talked to a few of them, uh, but also remembered a lot of stories we heard in the past and based our story on those. Femke is a little a little bit of reference to a politician in Holland is also called Femke and, and someone who has had a lot of experience with um, hate comments on the internet. But it's just that's that's a small reference on the side, I guess. 
you mentioned that some of the people that you worked with all the way back in uh, college have uh, gone into the field, and I'm curious who either on the cast or crew had you worked with before apart from Dan? On the cast side, I have uh, it, it were all new collaborations. I guess everybody uh, just according to the role, I had no really no nobody in, in mind that I already knew for one of the roles. On the crew side, it's weird. I sort of keep coming back to the same sound designer because we've been working together for so long. It's known trope to say that it's uh, that sound is a very important thing about films, but it's the sound designer I work with also does uh, a sound on set, uh, so we see each other for a long time in a production, except for editing, of course. And in a way, he's, I'm not saying that I uh, that I talk so much to him on the set because it's i mean you you mainly talk to your cinematographer you mainly talk to your actors you sometimes talk to the to the sound guy but in a way uh, uh the the sound designer slash sound guy i work with is also like uh, someone who i listen to from the first moment i start with a project for the first from the first moment i get a green light uh, he reads the script, he, he reacts, he has ideas. And I think that sort of translates into the, the quality of the final results. I'm also keep coming back to the same uh, composer. And it's just a great collaboration with a lot of trust. You know, I mean, we know each other very well, also on a personal level. But for a lot of crew positions like camera, like cinematography, for example, or uh, editing, those were mainly all new collaborations, which also made this project very exciting in a way, also very scary in a way, because I had to get to know a lot of new people for this one. Tell me a little bit about, is it Katja Herbers, the, the woman that plays Famke? She is terrific. I cast Katja because the Dutch title, uh, you probably know, is is De uh, Kuthoer which is um trend i mean who is uh whore um in english and and uh cut is uh cunt so it's those two things especially combined aren't uh, really a thing that that would be a success title in english i guess <laughs> so that's why we call it the columnist but in in in, in dutch we we are it's it's a different way of shocking people to say cut who than to say the English version of that. Um, so it also has a certain humor next to the shock value. And um, when uh, the producer of this film posted on Instagram a screenshot of the, 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 the first page of the script, which said, which said the good who uh, Katja responded immediately, uh, you know, with a little wink saying that must be my part uh, or something. So, um, just because, because she, in her comment, she sort of, I felt that she uh, understood what we were trying to do with this project. So that was the first moment I thought I, I should, I should ask her for this one. And at that moment she was in, in America, she was shooting for, I think Westworld two, uh, season too, or maybe she was just she she was done with the uh, I don't know but uh, we called we had our first conversation uh, about this project uh, over Skype 
it was great to to talk to her about this project. I, I felt that she understood the project immediately and and uh, all the way into the the shooting of the film, it was clear that she she was uh, the perfect lead for this one. When did the film premiere in the Netherlands, and what has been the response in the Netherlands and Europe so far? The premiere in the Netherlands was uh, January of this year, so it feels like a long time ago, but it's actually, I mean, it feels like a long time ago because there wasn't any sign of a pandemic, for example, but it was only January, and it was, as I, uh, as I said, it was a television film television movie so it was first shown on uh, on national television and the, the the response was interesting because the response was mainly i mainly uh, uh, got the response through uh, twitter as the film tells us twitter can be a very toxic place and it can also be a very negative place and weirdly uh, most of twitter responded very positive on this uh, 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 on this film people like the premise people like the jokes people joke that they uh, they didn't want to write anything negative about the film or else i was afraid of that reaction i was i was afraid of the, of what the twitter sphere would react to this film and i was pleasantly surprised that it was actually quite positive as far as film critics go it was i think it was a b minus or something uh, but I have the feeling that the satirical tone of this film and the way we approach the subject sort of is, is in a way a little bit better understood by people in North America, I guess, or by English speaking people. It is a satirical and it is a wink and a, uh, and a nudge and a, it is sort of a genre thing. And I think there is a different tradition in the English language with satirical content. And here in Holland, there isn't much history with that kind of stories. So I think that's why it sort of gets picked up a little bit more in North America than than in Holland. I am always amazed at what can play on television in Europe versus what can play on television over here. I suppose if this played on certain cable channels, that would be fine, but not just general for public consumption in Holland, we are a little bit more free, I guess in that sense, or we, we, we are less easily shocked, but it's, I think it's a language thing. Uh, I mean, we in Holland are, are, are very accustomed to cursing with a lot of different things, uh, especially diseases, a lot of diseases and a, a lot of, uh, a lot of body parts. And I don't know, it's just, if you call somebody a cut who on the street here, you might get hit, but it's, 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 it's still sort of, <laughs> it's still sort of okay, or it's still sort of tongue in cheek. Um, uh, in a way, a lot of cursing and a lot of name calling is so commonplace that a film like this can exist on television. Have you been keeping up with the reviews as they've been coming in from Fantasia? Uh, yeah, uh, our producer actually sends <laughs> sends every review, and I've been very surprised, very pleasantly surprised uh, about the, the the enormous number of reviews that keeps coming in, that keep coming in, and 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 the positivity about this film. It's great to see that people actually 
understand the film and start analyzing the content and and see what we really wanted to say with this film and that's what i love about the reviews that come uh, from fantasia with this being from a, a different culture than north america i am curious have we missed anything are there things that you're seeing in these reviews where you're just like wow you guys in the u.s and canada don't get this at all this is not in the category category you don't get this at all because i i know you get this better than we do with the whole Zwarte Piet and blackface uh, part of the film. I, I was even in doubt if I should keep that in the film for the international release because the black the the, the black Piet and the, the blackface uh, discussion in in Holland in the Netherlands is 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 getting better. It's getting more understanding and it's getting more more progressive every year. But it's it's, it's still ongoing and it's still not resolved and it's something. A lot of people from the Netherlands are still a little bit ashamed that it's still a thing sometimes, somewhere in the Netherlands. That's a cultural difference that we, we sort of, Femke writes, a, writes in a first column in the film about uh, Black Pete, Swarte Pete. That is something that is in the story telling us that she's a progressive, um, in a way, mindful person and 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 sort of also gives the context of who who the people are who are bashing her online because there is still uh, there are still a lot of people here who are um conservative in a way that they still uh like that uh character and they still like that that character um so i guess that's different when i started out with this movie i really wanted to tell a lot of uh, small things about the Netherlands that that sort of agitate me, or or that that I find not so charming about the Netherlands, and um, I, I guess are all uh, inside jokes from a, a Dutch director to a Dutch audience. Uh, there is a Dutch supermarket that uh, puts stickers on food that that's that's going to be thrown away, and the sticker says throwing it away is a shame that's something i i it's it's just a very personal thing but i it's sort of it's it's a thing that that i find so typical dutch is that you the thing that supermarkets inherently do wrong uh, they make it the problem our problem and and in such in such a way in such a tone uh, that that it's it's all it's almost that you're guilty that supermarkets uh, dog image there, and and those are just small um, observations that maybe are also very valid internationally, but are also, I mean, in my in my head, are also very Dutch and also very pedantic in a way. And um, so there, the the film is filled with a lot of small inside jokes about how it is to live in the Netherlands. Uh, but I think a lot of details will not really be picked up by an international audience. What are you working on now? I mean, are you able to work on things that COVID has happened? I am actually shooting a, a, a web series right now. And it's, it's about, it's sort of touches on the same subject matter as the colonist. It's about a young girl. It's a high school uh, series. It's about a young girl that she starts to notice that one day that someone is in her uh, social media account, someone is taking over 
uh, her WhatsApp, someone is taking over even her bank account. And so, so um, uh, this is a girl in the last year of her high school, and she's 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 uh, with all the examination stress. And one day she, she notices that uh, someone is trying to sabotage her entire life by going into her online accounts. So it's also about uh, about the internet, about this, the second life we lead on the internet, and how important it is in our daily life. But then a little bit younger and and uh, more on the paranoia who done it thriller side, and I'm actually filming it right now. I'm I'm going into my last four days of principal photography, and it's right now because it was originally planned to be shot on uh, in in April and May, uh, but it was uh, pushed backwards, uh, of course, because of COVID nineteen. Right now it's going fine. The, the, the photography is going fine. We all have a lot of precautions and, and, uh, uh, we keep distance and we, we wear face masks and we, we, we test, uh, and we make sure that everybody's healthy and that if you're not healthy, you, you, you don't come on set and you stay home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And up until now it has worked all those precautions and, uh, we are actually able to shoot not in a very high pace, but still, uh, but still at a very high pace. I mean, it's, it's still Holland and it's still uh, a very low budget per, per minute, I guess. So, um, we're still shooting like, uh, crazy for this series. I hope, uh, a lot of filmmakers get back to work in a responsible way and be able to make their, uh, their shows again. I mean, it's it's uh, especially for the for the more uh, you know the the lower budget, more indie uh, side of the the film industry. I guess it's especially tough now, and a lot of uncertainty. The the weeks and months until I actually got the green light that we could actually shoot this uh, series. The uncertainty it was not nice. It was it, it was very nerve wracking in a way, not knowing when you could get back to work and get back to shooting uh, the things you want to, to make. Well, Mr. Van Art, thank you so much for your time. This was a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you. The pleasure was mine. All right. We are back and we are talking about Fantasia 2020. And I do miss being actually in Montreal, having a little bit of a vacation, seeing the beautiful city, going from theater to theater, that whole communal experience of seeing movies, kind of miss it. I'm not about to run out and see Tenant or The New Mutants or pretty much anything else. I think I'm staying indoors, staying away from public spaces until there's a vaccine for what's going on. So if you go out to movie theaters, great. That's great for you. Oh, good for you. Just be safe. That's all I can ask. And be fucking considerate. Wear a fucking mask. You know what? If you don't wear a mask, if you're one of those people, just turn off the podcast. I don't need you. All right. On that cheerful note, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I will be back with a second part talking about Fantasia. There are some more bonus episodes coming up in September. And October is just chocked full of stuff. One of the bad things about film festival episodes is that they are almost immediately dated. 
You guys know that I don't like dating shows. I hope that they stick around for a little bit more than a few months, but maybe you'll come back to this one in a few years and go, oh yeah, the columnist. I need to see that. And hopefully by then, it'll be easy peasy to check out. I'm so a lovely band and what a thrill it is to have them play for me.